0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Good evening, everyone. I'm Abby Phillip in Washington.
2: And I'm Caitlin Collins in Miami. This is CNN's continuing coverage of the arrest and arraignment of Donald Trump.
1: And there is really no way to overstate the importance of this day in American history. It is the very first time that a former president of the United States has been arrested and arraigned, this time on 37 federal counts of allegedly mishandling classified documents.
2: But in typical fashion, Donald Trump is downplaying the severity of those charges that Abby mentioned against him, calling them fabricated and, quote, an evil and heinous abuse of power. Returning tonight to his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey, where we should note there was an audio recording of him talking about classified documents while he was there two years ago. Tonight, he held a campaign fundraiser and addressed his cheering supporters with a litany of lies against his perceived enemies. We begin our coverage this hour with CNN's Evan Perez, our senior justice correspondent. He's here with me in Miami, and our correspondent, Kristen Holmes, who is in Bedminster covering the former president. Tonight, I want to start with Evan because he was inside the courtroom when Trump was arraigned today. What did you see, Uh, of course, not just what happened in that courtroom, but also what we saw after as he was making that stop at a restaurant here in Miami.
3: Yeah, it was quite the, the, the split-screen uh, summation, frankly, of, of Donald Trump's day, right? Uh, inside the courtroom, he was he seemed dejected. He was sitting there while he was waiting for the judge to appear. Uh, he was uh, sitting there with his arms folded, uh, twiddling his thumbs a few times, talking to his, to his attorney. Um, NOT THE PERFORMER THAT WE ARE USED TO SEEING. AND CERTAINLY WHEN HE SHOWED UP IN LITTLE HAVANA, JUST, uh, just WEST OF HERE uh, AT Versailles RESTAURANT, uh, THAT'S WHERE, YOU KNOW, YOU SAW THE ENERGY OF HIM BEING AROUND HIS ADORING CROWD, uh, CLERGY MEMBERS WHO WERE PRAYING FOR HIM AND SO ON. LOOK, the, the, THE FORMER PRESIDENT, I THINK, YOU CAN'T HELP, BUT, LIKE, WHEN YOU GET INTO A MOMENT LIKE THIS, YOU'RE SITTING AT THAT TABLE THAT SAYS, YOU KNOW, THE DEFENDANT, um, the defense, uh, it's its hard for you just to you know, dismiss that. Uh, as much as the former president is trying to do that, it's very hard to just dismiss that. It's a serious moment. Again, the historic thing that you just talked about, but just the idea that this is a very serious moment and a judge is sitting in front of you and telling you who you can and cannot talk to and about what.
2: Yeah, and also the two attorneys in the room today, we don't even know for sure that those will be the right. same two attorneys. Who are on this? Obviously, Todd Blanche is expected to. I was just told by someone that the legal team did review that speech that he gave at Bedminster tonight. That was rambling. That was not an accurate portrayal of the charges against him. Do comments like that make it more difficult for him to hire a new attorney? It to, does. To put on it, that team.
3: Absolutely. And it, and look, you've been covering this story for more years than you can remember, right? And it is um, it is a feature of the Donald Trump world. He makes things very difficult for himself. He is not disciplined, which is why, you know, certainly at the near the end of this hearing, this is usually like a 20 minute uh, perfunctory thing. It went on much longer simply because, you know, his legal team was raising objections about the restrictions that a judge was trying to put in, which are standard, by the way, the idea that you can't discuss the case with witnesses, which is pretty much everybody around him. Um, And the question that arises and a reason why the lawyers, I think, would raise so many concerns is that they know they have a client who is not disciplined. Um, and so, you know, if you want to make sure you protect him, you do have to raise those objections in court because you want to make sure that those restrictions aren't so, so, so tight that the former president maybe accidentally uh, breaks those rules.
2: And Kristen Holmes, you're in Bedminster. You were in the room as the former president or outside, I should note, as the former president just spoke. What was it like? What, what are you hearing from those who were there?
4: Yeah, I've talked to a number of supporters who were here, and there's no surprise that they were thrilled. I mean, we knew that this was exactly how the former president was going to paint this, that it was political, a witch hunt, uh, that this is part of election interference, which he leaned into all of that, saying that Joe Biden was particularly doing this because he was his top rival. Of course, as we know, Donald Trump is not even the Republican nominee, and this was not done through Joe Biden. Uh, But I do want to play for you at least one clip here to hear what it is that he is so fixated on, which is... Pretty evident when you listen to this.
5: Charging a former president of the United States under the Espionage Act of 1917. Wasn't meant for this. An act for a crime so heinous that only the death penalty would do and threatening me with 400 years in prison for possessing my own presidential papers, which just about every other president has done is one of the most outrageous and vicious legal theories ever put forward in an American court of law.
4: And obviously he talked about the Presidential Records Act and said that this is why he would get off. Uh, As we have reported, he is on tape saying he did not declassify the documents as president, giving an understanding of the Presidential Records Act and also an understanding that he hadn't actually declassified those documents while he was in office. But Caitlin, I do want to point out one thing here. Uh, The mood of his team is very different tonight than it was after that Manhattan arraignment. And I asked them why that was. They seemed a lot lighter. Thank you. The cat uh, they told me that day that it was one of the most emotional days of their lives. I had heard that from several advisors, of uh, various forms of it. Tonight they seemed lighter, it seemed easier. They were talking to reporters, uh, walking around. And they said that essentially now they have the playbook down and that they believe this is going to happen again, that he will be indicted again and they're going to use the same playback over and over again. Uh, and one other note, I know I'm jamming all this in, but it's important to note that not only was Walt Nada on the plane back, but so was Walt Nada's attorney. And that is something that we just learned All the attorneys were on the plane uh, after this. So as we talk about how difficult it would be to not have conversations, uh, keeping in mind that now it seems that there's at least some sort of buffer as they left the courthouse today and came back to New Jersey.
2: Yeah, and of course, they're supposed to be communicating through those attorneys, at least Trump and NADA for now, when it comes to discussing this case. We'll see how that develops. Kristen Holmes and Bedminster, thank you. I want to bring in one of only nine members of the public who was in the room today, granted access in that courtroom during former President Trump's historic arraignment this afternoon. Joining me now is Raj Abianker. Thank you so much, Raj, for being here. So when I left here last night at about 11 o'clock, yes. I saw a line of people waiting to get in. You were one of those people. How long did you wait in line for? Well,
6: we, I got here at 10 o'clock at a. night. AM. PM. PM. And it was, there's not a long line. I thought, you know, there'd be a much longer line, but uh, mostly there are journalists or people that were reserving their seats for journalists. So I figured, you know, this is a good time for me to stand and see if I can wait and, and, and try to get in. But um, I thought I'd come back in the morning, but people around me said, no, you should stay here because you don't know what'll happen
2: in the morning, so. And so you were just one of nine people who, who was in the room today. I know that you're here in Southern Florida, you don't live here, but you're here with your accompanying your daughter. Uh, to something. Why was it important for you to, to go wait in line overnight, to be in that room today as former President Trump was
7: arraigned?
6: Today's a historic day. So I don't think there's a day that's going to ever come in my life like today. It's a day in which the American democracy is tested. It's the first time we have a an Amer- former American president that's charged with federal crimes. And I think it's also a sad day. So it's a sad day for our country to be facing this. And it's difficult for me to see, but it's also important for me to have the opportunity to witness, because given that I'm here, I'm here for a basketball camp. My daughter is in a five-day basketball camp at Atlantic University in Palm Beach. So.
2: What was it like in the room today? Was Trump already seated when you got in there? What was? I know it was very quiet, but what else was it like?
6: Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, yes, he was seated. He has a light blue navy suit, so he stuck out. His hair was blonder than I thought. so I, I, really, I looked at him and he goes, "That's definitely Trump." And so he was—he um, was hunched over a little bit, and um, I think uh, he was—you know—he seemed as a, like a defendant. He didn't seem as larger than life. I, I was probably about ten feet away from him, maybe fifteen. So it was—it um, was an interesting experience to say the least.
2: And you were waiting in line with someone who you are—I should note—a Republican who has been. Pretty critical of the former president. I think you would agree with that, tell me if I'm wrong. But you were waiting in line with someone who is a very vocal supporter of the president's, I believe you said they were wearing MAGA gear. Do you believe both of you could see what happened in that courtroom today and walk out believing that he was indeed treated fairly by by the team that was in there, by the prosecutors, by the judge? I
6: don't think so because I think there's a big misconception caused by the politics around the, the situation and how Trump has been treated from the beginning. And many Republicans, many Americans feel that why is Trump getting this punishment versus Biden or Clinton? And I think the answer really lies with the witnesses. And here in this indictment, which I read prior to coming to this arraignment today, it seems that there are very clear human witnesses as opposed to just factual evidence without witnesses. And that's what makes it distinguished from the other cases.
2: Yeah, a lot of them who, who work for him Raj, thank you for joining us here tonight. Hopefully tonight you get to have a much better night of sleep. You're not outside a federal courthouse here in Miami and you can sit instead and do that. So thank you. Thank you so much. Abby, of course, uh, it was this notable line of people who were outside the courthouse, only nine members of the public, dozens of members of the press that were actually in the room for that tonight.
1: Yeah, you got to admire the dedication in some ways, Caitlin. Uh, but let's bring it into the room here with our panel. Gloria, a former president, indicted, arraigned, Uh, facing these charges. But really today, what we saw, what we all witnessed was the American justice system at work.
8: Yeah. And it was it was really a solemn day because uh, never in our history has a former president uh, been indicted on federal charges. And I think that uh, it's historic. And I think in his own way, Donald Trump knows that. And uh, while well, he was full of bravado this evening at, at his event and full of bravado when he went to, you know, to visit a restaurant uh, earlier today, I think in his own way he knows it and said earlier this week, I mean, or last week, no one wants, ever wants to get indicted. And these charges are so serious that we are seeing Republicans, the, the sort of cement start to crack a little bit. Among some Republicans who are starting to say, wait a minute, uh, this is serious. This is dangerous. I mean, even Lindsey Graham, a great defender of this president, called it a self-inflicted wound. And
1: uh, Sarah, you know, I covered Trump for years. You worked for him. You can't he's really he, he carries in his body a lot of times what he is experiencing. What did you pick up today watching him about where he is in his state of mind and watching him on that stage tonight?
9: I do think that he definitely did seem more relaxed after the first indictment uh, comparing to today. Mm-hmm. I think that, like we heard earlier, him and his team have gone through this before, not just with the first indictment, but with the impeachment proceedings. There is kind of a sense of normalcy in the chaos when it comes to Trump world. They are used to this, they know the drill. And um, he did put on a false sense of bravado today. I think deep down, he's probably panicking. His true social posts seem to kind of give a little bit more insight. And to where his headspace is. But obviously, he wants to show his supporters that, you know, he's going to fight this and he's going to put out all this misinformation to try to shift the blame or make excuses. And they seem to be kind of throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. Well,
10: and think about who his key audiences are right now for that bravado, for this sense of confidence that he's trying to roll out. I mean, obviously, audience number one is voters saying, I'm innocent, this is a witch hunt, etc. But there are two other really important audiences here. The first is his Republican rivals to basically say, look, I walked out of that courthouse and I walked into a restaurant in Miami to applause and to a crowd that loved me. And then I went up to a fundraiser and I raised millions of dollars in front of all these people who loved me. So don't you dare try to come at me right now and think that I'm weakened because look at this show of strength. And I think the other audience that's uh, maybe not just the voters that he's trying to talk to Is anybody, I think, from the Biden administration sort of sending a signal, hey, I'm not going to make this easy for you. You may say, oh, nobody's above the law. But if you really want to come for me and you want to come at me in the legal system and take me down, I'm not going to go down without a fight.
11: Can I add another audience is the jury pool. I mean, this case is venued in Florida, in the the Southern District of Florida, which will draw jurors from Miami-Dade County, from Palm Beach County. And look, he's quite popular politically there. Uh, 40, 40-some 40 some percent, and he's going to have some support on that jury pool. That,
1: that's exactly right, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But, but Ellie, I was struck today, he kind of threw out some legal arguments. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to necessarily go too far in that way, because I think sometimes they throw out things that sound like legal arguments, right. but they're really public relations arguments. One had to do with the Espionage Act. The other was when he said, whatever documents the president decides to take with him, he has the, he has the right to do so. It is an absolute right.
11: Okay. They are going to have a legal defense. Let's not be dismissive of this. He has very good lawyers. They certainly will put up a spirited defense. But this ain't it. Neither of these is it.
1: I'm going to take your word for it. Yeah, I mean, I
11: mean but let me just. To, you cannot take all the documents you want. They keep saying the Presidential Records Act, just in, in a sense, it says the opposite. It says presidential records belong to the archives unless the president shows that they're personal and have nothing to do with national security.
1: And when we talk about personal, we are not talking about plans to, let's say, invade Iran, we're talking about correct. notes that he might right. have taken, uh, diaries right. and diary entries to himself, maybe, maybe. Artifacts, yes. yes,
11: keepsakes,
1: souvenirs, Photographs, it's not correct. nuclear plans, not vulnerabilities, not military plans. Not, not five eyes sensitive uh, national security documents. Will everyone stand by for us? The question now is, how will this important case play out in federal court? Up next, we've got two Florida attorneys who know the system very, very well, and they will bring us up to speed on what we can expect.
2: Tonight we are hearing from the former vice president, Mike Pence, about the charges that his former boss is facing. Of course, he's weighed in on this, but it seems to be a shift in what he had said previously, now that this indictment has been unsealed, and you can read all 49 pages of it. Pence telling The Wall Street Journal, quote, having read the indictment, these are very serious allegations, and I can't defend what is alleged. But the president is entitled to his day in court, he's entitled to bring a defense, And I want to reserve judgment until he has an opportunity to respond. Those are some of the stronger words yet from Pence, as Trump has pleaded not guilty to these 37 criminal charges. Here to talk about what comes next in this case is Palm Beach County State Attorney Dave Ehrenberg. And also joining us again is former U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of Florida, Marcos Jimenez, who knows, of course, this room behind us very well. He is a former Republican. He's been critical of Trump, I should note. But let's talk about what we just heard from Trump, because, of course, he left here. He went to his club in New Jersey to make remarks. He misrepresented the Espionage Act, and that is part of the charges that's facing him. He was saying, essentially, it's only for terrorists and spies, but that's obviously misleading. No,
12: that's the Lindsey Graham School of Law. That's what he said. He said, Trump's not a spy. Why are you hitting him with the Espionage Act? But the act is much broader than that. It involves the willful retention of documents. It involves the dissemination of documents. Apparently, Trump did both, and it'll get you up to 10 years in prison, whether you're a spy or not.
2: And what do you make of those comments as Trump has been trying to hire several people in the state of Florida, obviously some of those that, that you know, these Florida attorneys, because he needs local counsel in this case. Does that help or does that hurt?
13: Well, I think all of his comments are really not helpful because he is essentially telegraphing to his lawyers that he's an uncontrollable client and, you know... You don't want that if you're a lawyer that's concerned about your reputation. And the lawyers here in Florida have to come back to this courthouse and practice again in front of these judges. And if they have a client who wants them to go out and say things publicly that they don't agree with or attack the prosecutors like he's doing uh, himself, you don't want to be anywhere near that if you're a defense attorney. Um, And then there are the other issues, which this case is going to take a lot of work. Whoever takes this case is going to have to basically drop their practice for a significant period of time, and it's not going to be just one lawyer. So it's going to be an undertaking because if the president is going to mount a defense, it's going to be a complicated one dealing with attorney-client privilege issues and national security classified information issues. It's going to be a lot of briefing, a lot of writing, a lot of appeals. So um, I think all of that is contributing to the fact that he's not been able to get much uh, support here locally so far.
2: And Walt Nada, his co-defendant, who was there in the room with him today, wasn't arraigned, did not offer a not guilty plea or any plea because he didn't have local counsel with him. Can you kind of walk us through why, obviously, he needed to have that and the significance of the fact that that wasn't something they made sure was in place by today. Now he's got to come back in two weeks to be arraigned.
12: It's weird because Trump isn't paying for his lawyers and you have to have local counsel to represent you in the Southern District, but... Even though he had plenty of notice, he didn't have it. And he's not supposed to talk to Trump and vice versa about the case, but they left together. Walt Nada went back to being Trump's valet after he was his co-defendant. So the whole thing is really unusual. And Nada could be a helpful witness to the government, and he has to decide who he wants to be. Does he want to be Alan Weisselberg, or does he want to be Cassidy Hutchinson? If he's Alan Weisselberg and is loyal to Trump, he'll go to jail. If he's Cassidy Hutchinson and hires his own lawyer, then he can become a hero.
2: Yeah, and you're obviously referring to... Weisselberg, who worked for the Trump Organization, did plead guilty to other crimes. Cassidy Hutchinson, who testified at the January 6th hearings that we saw. Part of that, Walt, and what happens with him in those conversations going forward, the judge today said that essentially the government has to come up with this witness list of witnesses that Trump cannot speak to about this case except through uh, attorneys. Does the Trump team have any kind of say in that? What does that look like once the special counsel's office does come up with that list?
13: I don't think the Trump team has a choice. I mean, they have to follow the court's rulings, and witnesses really should not be uh, collaborating together, talking to each other. Defendants should not be talking to witnesses. Defendants should not be talking to other defendants. Generally, when there are two defendants that are charged, their lawyers speak to each other, but the defendants themselves do not speak to each other. So here, Judge Goodman, the magistrate judge who handled today's hearing, was telling the two defendants do not talk to each other. That's completely normal. It's the way it should be.
2: But the difficulty here with the other witnesses, not just with the defendants here, is that so many of these witnesses who are who are in this case either work for Trump, they're secret service protectees, um, or protect secret service members that protect him at this moment. You know, and that was kind of the the struggle I think for what Trump's defense was saying today. His his attorneys. Is that it's almost impossible for him not to speak to any of them period because of course so many of them surround him and work with him on a daily basis.
12: Yeah it's like the honor system how are you going to prove who he speaks to and do you think Judge Cannon is going to go out of her way? Is that It can be but you've got to have ironclad proof that he violated the court's order and then Judge Cannon is going to have to do something she hasn't done so far and that's go after Trump give him a negative ruling. So far, she hasn't proven that she can do that. Now, I am actually of the belief that after she was publicly humiliated for her rulings last year, that we may see Canon 2.0, where she may try to do better because she knows she's under scrutiny by the 11th Circuit and try to play it down the middle. Uh, but she can still do things that could help Donald Trump, like jury selection, like delays, like even giving him a lenient sentence if he's found guilty. Yeah,
2: There's big questions of what that looks like and also when that trial is ultimately going to happen. Thank you both for joining us here tonight in Miami. Of course, the question is also not just about the judge. How will an unbiased jury be selected in Southern Florida, where the former president lives for most of the year? We're going to talk about that right after this short break.
1: Former President Donald Trump is taking the first step today toward a trial on federal charges for allegedly mishandling classified documents. He is set to face a jury of his peers. But the historically high stakes of this case are already raising some real questions about how that jury will actually be selected. Our panel is back here with us to discuss. Ellie, you know, when you're talking about a case involving a former president of the United States and one uh, who sucks up as much oxygen as Trump, it's very hard to find someone who doesn't have an opinion. So what does the jury questionnaire even look like? I can't even
11: case? imagine what <laughs> jury selection is going to look like Listen, even in a normal case, jury selection is really complicated. It's sort of like the world's most difficult game show because you know a very limited amount of facts about each person, but you have to sort of guess, is this person going to be with us? Now, with Donald Trump... The goal is not to get 12 people who've never heard of him. That's utterly impossible. Impossible. The goal is to find 12 people who you believe can put aside whatever their personal or political views are and judge the case on the evidence alone. So jurors will be asked explicitly that. Can you put aside whatever you believe and just base your decision solely on the facts and the evidence in this case? And a lot of questions sort of following up on that. But ultimately, the lawyers— who are going to have a limited number of strikes, the ability to throw a limited number of jurors off, are going to have to use their gut instinct. Do I trust this person or not? Do I like the vibe of this person or not? It's a guessing game.
8: But you're not going to ask who they
11: voted for. I don't think that gets asked explicitly. Well, yes, exactly. to, And to that
1: point, I mean, this is a moment of real shifting politics in the state of Florida, but particularly in South Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, where this hearing was today, Miami-Dade County, uh, in 2020— Uh, Joe Biden won that uh, that part of Florida. And then just this past fall, Ron DeSantis beat Charlie Chris by almost exactly the same margin. Things are changing and that might have an impact. First of all, we don't even know if it will be Miami-Dade County that the jury will be picked from. It could be from West Palm Beach. But things are changing in that part of the state.
8: Yeah. And if it's Palm Beach County, we were all just looking this up during the break. Uh, Biden won in the last election by uh, 13 points. So that's a whole different venue. Maybe there is a sense. I mean, look, a lot of people thought this was going to be done in the District of Columbia. The jury would have been easy to to find, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a reason the Department of Justice, I think, went to Florida, because the documents were in Florida. They didn't want to be challenged on venue. It may make it more difficult for them to get a jury that they think they're going to like, but I think they figured it's worth the risk because they didn't want to waste time on a challenge yeah. to venue. And uh, I just um, my
1: producer just sent this to me. Ron DeSantis in mm-hmm. 2022 beat the Democrat 51 to 48. So, again, even in West Palm Beach, uh, shifting politics. And uh, when we saw Trump showing up at that at Versailles Cafe uh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's all about politics, but also about Cuban voters, yes. but also a signal to a lot of Venezuelan uh, Americans, people of Venezuelan descent who are now many of them in that part of the state.
10: Yes, I, I think in the earlier block I'd said he went to a restaurant, but not just any restaurant, went to one that was a real signal of kind of the shifting politics of South Florida, of course, the, the Cuban voters in South Florida have always been a more Republican constituency, but folks like Ron DeSantis and before him, Rick Scott, when he was governor, put together a strong Republican support in South Florida by courting the broader Latino community. Um, and I think that's something that Donald Trump has always said uh, that that's, you know, he wants to, he wants to claim that he's going to broaden out the Republican party's support with voters of color, uh, I think the polling would suggest that it's a more complicated story than that. But certainly South Florida is the type of place where Republicans' vision of trying to diversify their party has come to some fruition. So
1: tainting the jury pool, a little bit
10: of politics,
1: maybe both, maybe a a little bit of a dig at Ron DeSantis even.
9: Yes, I definitely think so. I think on the substance of this indictment, it's highly detailed and very troubling for Trump, but he's trying to... Uh, change the narrative by putting all this kind of uh, misinformation out there. He's uh, using the Hillary Clinton comparison, for example, and saying that, um, well, she had classified information and she wasn't held accountable. And that's what a bunch of his allies are saying. But I think that um, in terms of Republicans who are saying that we need to be um, holding Donald Trump accountable because Hillary Clinton's wrongdoings, which were to a much lesser degree than what Uh, Donald Trump is being alleged of doing um, is not a legal defense for him. And I think that um, now he's trying to, you know, encourage his own Republican, not just his uh, staunch allies in the party to come out and defend him. But there's pressure on the 2024 candidates like Ron DeSantis to come out and defend him and say there's a weaponization of the DOJ. But that's just not the case here. You know, if we're using that same logic, why didn't uh, Donald Trump go after Hillary Clinton for her alleged potential mishandling of classified information? I think that um, for him to claim that You know, this is Joe Biden doing this and then trying to force Republicans to go out there and defend it is just absurd.
1: Do you think, Ellie, um, to that point, I mean, will any of that show up in the courtroom? And how does a judge help the jury understand the difference between those arguments of maybe a double standard and what the law actually requires of them?
11: By keeping those arguments out. Yeah. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. it is not a free for all in a court. And what's going to happen is. If Donald Trump wants to argue he's being selectively prosecuted based on politics, that is a pre-trial motion. It will be ruled on by the judge before trial. I think the judge will reject it, and it will be absolutely out of bounds for a jury. And one of the big challenges for a judge is how do you keep control of your courtroom? How do you? Because sometimes, I'll, I won't just say defense lawyers, because prosecutors sometimes do it too, blurt out things that they shouldn't blurt out, and the judge says, jury, disregard that. But once it's you hear it, said. you've heard it. Yeah. It's the other, the, last thing I want to say world. is, political math is very different than jury math. In politics, a sixty to forty win is a landslide. But if you have forty percent support, you are absolutely going to have three, four, five pro you jurors, and you mm-hmm. need unanimous uh, vote to get. Yeah, to that's
1: what makes this so so difficult. Everyone stand by for me. The former president now is trying to find actually more lawyers to make those case cases. Anyone thinking about the job would have to uh, stick around uh, because we would need we were about to speak with two of his former lawyers next.
2: Trump's indictment drama is only intensifying tonight as the former president is still searching for a qualified Florida attorney willing to join his defense team. Two of his current attorneys Todd Blanche and Chris Kyes who represented him at his arraignment this afternoon. For more perspective on this I want to bring in former Trump White House lawyer Jim Schultz as well as David Schoen one of the attorneys who I should note represented Trump during his second impeachment trial following the January 6th Capitol riot. David, let me start with you because we have been reporting that several prominent attorneys here in Florida have been approached about joining Trump's legal team. They were trying to add someone before this arraignment today, but a few of them, several of them, turned down that offer. Why do you think they're denying this chance to to represent a former president at trial?
14: Sure, good question. Before I answer it, though, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that uh, I think I speak for every Alabamian to say how greatly proud we are of the superstar status you've achieved. Now I'll answer it. Um, I think that uh, there, <laughs> there you, are a number, of, there, it's true, there are a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, you know, we all have read the same reports. There are a number of reasons that lawyers don't get involved in a case like this. First of all, there's a certain uh, predisposition among criminal defense lawyers not to take on certain clients of a political ilk. I'm very sorry to see that, but it's a factor. I've encountered it uh, during the course of these proceedings. You know, um, anyway, that's a part of it. There's also, you know, they've read the media reports about how difficult things can be. Um, It seems to some of them like a difficult case. There are personalities involved. I think it's a mistake for the team to have tried to find uh, the sort of be all and end all for purposes of the arraignment. The arraignment is sort of a pro forma step in the case. They don't need that. I personally would put together the best team of lawyers possible and then find a Florida lawyer who is familiar with the demographics, who's gonna help with jury selection, who's respected by the court. Um, if possible, and uh, and go from there. But I'd first want my best team of lawyers. They needed local counsel as a matter of law there, and they had that with the person of the stature of former Solicitor General in Mr. Kais.
2: But, Jim, I want your perspective in a moment. But, David, first, isn't it something that they need to move quickly on, though? Because, I mean, of course... We didn't get an answer today of when the next court appearance is going to be, but obviously since two of Trump's other attorneys who were handling this case specifically have departed the team, don't they need to move quickly to add someone to the team, David?
14: Yeah, I'm not sure that those two were going to be part of the trial team. They worked very, very hard on the case up to this point. I think that they need um, for logistics to have a Florida lawyer. They have a unique system in the Southern District of Florida, unique around the country in that the Vice lawyer, the lawyer from out of state who's admitted for the purposes of that case, can't file anything. Only the local lawyer can, and the local lawyer has to be there. They have that now. I think the goal now should be to put together a team of real seasoned criminal defense lawyers, first of all, and then work on that. I don't think it's an emergency to find the Florida lawyer right now.
2: Yeah, but of course, the benefit of that would be that they they could potentially know the judge. They would obviously know the area. Jim, when you look at this, obviously you worked in the Trump White House. What is your sense of why it's been a struggle? I mean, we've seen this dance before when it came to impeachments that Trump had, where he did struggle to find a legal team.
15: Look, I agree with David in that he has to really work to get the top, the best defense lawyer, the best trial lawyers, and put together the best trial trial team he can. As it relates to getting lawyers, I mean, look, there's no secret that, you know, we saw what happened post-January 6th with some of the arguments that were being made in court. And And what frequently happens, as we've seen, is that things are said in the political arena, and then you get into court and you can't make those arguments in court because they're not valid legal arguments, the facts aren't correct. So that's a real challenge for a lawyer when you have a client out there that's running for office and saying one thing in the public domain and you can't make those arguments in court. And we saw what happens when you go before the court and make those representations. Those lawyers end up in a little bit of trouble.
2: But is that also complicated, Jim, by the fact that, I mean, I don't think anyone would disagree that he should be able to defend himself. I think they would say that for, obviously, for anyone. But he's, what he's saying tonight in Bedminster, talking about the Espionage Act, is a misrepresentation of what is actually covered by that and why he he is charged for that. Doesn't that make their job difficult?
15: Well, right, because they're going to have to—they'll have to stand up and make arguments before a judge that are credible, cre- credible arguments before a judge. And if that is the opposite of what he's saying publicly, it makes it just makes their job that much more difficult, right?
2: Yeah, David, when you read through this indictment, do you believe a lot of this is self-inflicted?
14: <laughs> uh, listen, I, I, the the allegations in the indictment. Are simply allegations. They're very. It's a speaking indictment. Goes into great detail. We don't know what's omitted from it. We don't know context for it, and all of that. Um, I I don't like to say self-inflicted. I believe that he believed he was doing absolutely nothing against the law, um, and therefore he was entitled to do it. I have to say this back on the on the previous subject. You know, we have this impression that President Trump is a difficult person. We see in the media and all that. My experience with him is that he's been gracious on every single occasion I've ever spoken to him. Flattering, gracious, etc. And I don't come from this background, as I've said before, I represented a socialist candidate for president in 2020, and I represented the Democratic Party all of last year. So I don't come to that conclusion easily, but I do think there's a misimpression out there in public of how he is sort of behind the scenes.
2: But David, it's not just about how he how he acts. I understand that's your experience with him and whatnot. But when you read through this indictment, I mean, he is accused of misleading one of his attorneys, Evan Corcoran, by having his co-defendant in this case move boxes up to his residence and then only move some of the boxes back down. I mean, he went to great lengths to mislead his own attorney who then was turning over a certification to the FBI about turning over documents.
14: Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the issues in this case is, of course, the Evan Corcoran notes and so on. I think there'll be a motion to strike those because I think that Judge Howell turned them over in wholesale fashion without giving a chance for redaction by the lawyers and so on. But I think if they come in... You're going to open up Evan Corcoran's testimony in this case, not having to worry about other privileged material. I think he's going to tell a very different story from the impression created about this idea that President Trump intentionally misled him. I feel very strongly that Evan Corcoran's testimony is going to be supportive of President Trump.
2: It's not just Evan Corcoran's notes. There's surveillance footage and phone records of Trump's conversations with Walt Nauta before Evan Corcoran went in that room and searched, but we'll have to leave it there. Jim Schultz, David Schoen, thank you both for your time tonight, David. uh, Thank you for your Alabama shout-out and roll tide. Absolutely.
16: Thank you.
2: A big question tonight. Could Trump's aide, who is also being charged, potentially flip on him? That is a question. President Nixon's former White House counsel will tell us what he thinks. John Dean is here next.
1: Former President Donald Trump had some company today for his arrest. He was with his co-defendant and personal aide, Walt Nada, who was also arrested and unlike Trump was fingerprinted and photographed and processed. Nada faces six counts, including several obstruction and concealment related charges. The judge ruling today that Trump and Nada cannot communicate about this case. So let's get straight to CNN contributor and former Nixon White House counsel, John Dean. So, John, you heard that ruling from the judge. How likely is it, do you think, that that will even work, that they would be able to not talk about this case and that would be even enforceable?
17: Well, we don't know exactly what that relationship is today. It appears that uh, Mr. Nada is still uh, the valet and helping Trump out and dealing with him on a regular basis. So they'll have to discipline themselves if indeed they're going to honor the rule. And the thing is, no one's going to police it. We'll only know if they do something blatant and conspicuous.
1: And uh, to your point, I mean, look here, you can see them together at that Cuban restaurant after their joint court appearance together. Um, Do you think that at this point, Trump believes it is in his best interest to keep Nada very close to him so that he does not flip in this case?
17: I think that's very true. No question about uh, the fact that uh, he's better inside the tent than outside of the tent. You know, it reminds me of Watergate. There was one of the... uh, co-conspirators that was named in the uh, against his top aides and this this aide or this this person was a lawyer who just was brushed by the case but he kept a very low profile and as a result he sat in the corner of the courtroom and the jury found him innocent at the end of the day okay. Uh, So I think Mr. Nada could learn a lesson from Ken Parkinson's experience and be as low profile and inconspicuous and minor a character as possible, and he might indeed escape uh, the wrath of the court.
1: Would you advise him to get his own truly independent counsel? Right now, our understanding is that his attorneys are paid for by a pro-Trump super PAC organization.
17: He would be better off with a public defender at this point than having to have uh, Trump-controlled, ultimately, lawyer, somebody who is paying for his uh, representation. And really, uh, is that's who who pays the piper, generally tells the piper what to play. So I, I think that would be the smart move, yes.
1: And we've seen that play out with Cassidy Hutchinson in those January 6th hearings as well. John Dean, thank you very much for joining us on that. Thank you, Ed. And don't go anywhere. More of our special coverage on the arrest and arraignment of Donald Trump straight ahead.
2: Welcome back to CNN's continuing coverage of the arrests and the arraignment of Donald Trump. I'm Caitlin Collins in Miami. And I'm Abby Phillip in Washington. Uh, As, of course, we both know, it has been a long and historic day. The former president returning to his New Jersey golf club tonight after his appearance at this courthouse behind me to a rousing reception from his supporters that also, we should note, was a campaign fundraiser
1: and in an angry and rambling at times address trump told them that he is the victim of political persecution and earlier today in miami at a federal courthouse trump was arrested and arraigned on 37 counts for his alleged mishandling of classified documents
2: and in that courthouse today was cnn's senior justice correspondent evan perez who is joining me here in Miami, what I keep thinking of is just the big picture of this, which is that next year, as he is the Republican frontrunner for the nomination, right now, he is going to be dealing with all of these court dates in between running for president and doesn't have that insulation. You know, he's never been under investigation in this way where he doesn't have the insulation of the presidency.
3: Right. He doesn't have the shield. And the Justice Department doesn't have any prohibitions, any internal memos that say you can't bring charges against him because he's running for for president, right? It's one of the things he's claiming. He's claiming that this is election interference, but I think people f- might forget that uh, one of the reasons why he declared perhaps a lot earlier than he, he planned to is he thought that this would dissuade the Justice Department uh, from pursuing this investigation. He thought that this would make Merrick Garland and the, 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 the Attorney General and, and everybody just kind of stand down and that's not how it happened he ended yeah. up getting a special counsel as a result
2: and that special counsel is jack smith and i was talking to some people in trump's orbit today asking them whether or not they believed they knew or if they knew that jack smith was going to be there a lot of them were surprised by it he wasn't required to be there i believe he wasn't. why do you think he showed up today
3: well i think you know i think one of the things that they, you, the the justice department wants and and certainly the the, the special counsel wants is to be more visible uh, i think they they understand that someone has to be behind these charges. Someone has to tell the the American public, you saw the extraordinary thing that he did, which was we heard his voice for the first time after this uh, indictment was released. Uh, And I think you're gonna see more of him because I think they've learned their lesson. From the last special counsel, Robert Mueller, who was never seen. The first time we saw him, of course, was uh, when he testified in the Senate. So, uh, after the report, after the Mueller report. So, I, I think they want to take it a, a lot different. They want to make sure that the American public knows that he's the one behind this, uh, this charge. And it was done independently of Merrick Garland, who is a political appointee of the former president, so- of the current president.
2: Right. And one thing that didn't come out of today is an understanding of what comes next, where we are next, what's the next court appearance, what does this look like beyond Walt Notta, we know, who has to show up here in two weeks with his Florida-based attorney. What is next?
3: Well, I think what's next is going to be a lot of uh, legal fighting. Of course, the former president still has to uh, secure his his uh, his legal team. He's going to be hiring, you know, we assume more lawyers to represent him in this case. Um, and then we're going to see some of the briefs start showing up in court. Um, court dates. The first court date before uh, Judge uh, Aileen Connor in in West Palm Beach uh, in the northern D- division of this district. And then the, the 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 legal fighting will begin. You saw a little bit of it today, right? This, uh the judge tried to put some restrictions on who. Trump can talk to, including, Walt Nada, whether they can have communications about well, what they could talk about. And um, and so you saw the pushback from his lawyers who are trying to protect him. And so that's a preview of what's to come. We're going to see a lot more fighting, including over Evan Corcoran and that incredible testimony and, and, and his notes, which are a big part of this case.
2: Yeah. And then Nada and his attorney and Trump and his attorney all flew back together. To New Jersey tonight, Evan, which
3: really tells you uh, how close they're going to—they're planning to remain yes. as this plays
18: out.
2: It really does. We'll see what that looks like, and of course, how the judge here responds. Evan Perez, great reporting today. Thank you, Thanks. Abby. Of course, uh, big questions about what that legal team is going to look like going forward.
1: Absolutely, that's going to be one of the biggest questions I think facing us. But we were just telling you about that rambling at times uh, speech that the former president gave, and as is often the case. It was also filled with a slew of of lies and falsehoods. Let's get straight to a fact check on Trump's address tonight. To his supporters in New Jersey, CNN's resident fact checker Daniel Dale is here to save the day. So, Daniel, uh, you've been through Trump's speech at Bedminster tonight. Tell us what stands out to you.
19: Abby, I usually like to do a deep dive into a couple of false claims from a big speech like this, but former President Trump delivered just so many lies and wildly misleading claims about this indictment that I want to go through a whole bunch of them quickly because I think they're all important. So Trump kept claiming that the Presidential Records Act said he has every right to keep these classified documents. He said they were his own documents. That is not only absolutely false, it's like upside-down worlds. That act is clear and concise. You can go read it online. The very purpose it was passed in the 70s was to make clear that all official documents from a presidency, classified or not classified, belong to the federal government the moment a president leaves office. Trump also claimed the Presidential Records Act says he was supposed to negotiate with the National Archives and Records Administration about what to return. Also, absolutely false. That act again says all official records belong to NARA. There is no provision for any negotiation. Trump claimed just about every other president has done what he did. Again, absolutely false. No president in the Presidential Records Act era has taken home... Of sensitive records and refused to give them back when Nera asked. He also claimed that the FBI or DOJ illegally released to the press a photo the FBI took where they laid out classified documents they had found at the Mar a Lago search. They didn't illegally release it to the press, they included it legally in an August 22 court filing. Trump claimed that Biden had him arrested. There is zero evidence we know that Biden had anything to do with bringing these charges. They were brought by a special counsel and approved by a Florida grand jury of ordinary citizens. Trump mocked the use of the Espionage Act. He claimed it wasn't meant for this purpose. Also, again, false. That law, despite its name, is not only meant for classic spying. There's a provision that specifically prohibits the willful retention of national defense information, usually classified documents, which is what Trump and many people prior to Trump have been charged with. Trump vaguely talked about Biden sending 1850 boxes of documents to the University of Delaware. That is highly misleading. He did not mention those boxes are Biden's legally and properly donated papers from his years in the U.S. Senate, or that, critically, unlike presidents, senators own their office's records and can do whatever they want with them. Trump claimed that Biden won't let anyone see these Delaware boxes. False. Once more, he has permitted two FBI searches at the university, as CNN's Paula Reid has reported, and the FBI found no initial sign of classified documents in them. Trump hinted conspiratorially about who toppled the spill box we saw in that indictment document, insinu- insinuating to his supporters maybe the feds did it, maybe it was the FBI. That is nonsense. That photo was taken per the indictment by Trump aide Walt Nada eight months before the FBI search. It could not possibly have been the feds. And, Abby, Trump even lied about something we could see with our own eyes. He said Jack Smith was trembling during his post-indictment speech. You can go watch that two-and-a-half-minute address. Jack Smith absolutely was not trembling.
1: Some of these are just incredibly brazen. Daniel Dale, thank God for you. Uh, Thanks for bringing that to
2: us, Caitlin. Say what you want. And for more on all of this and not just what the former president is saying tonight but also what could happen going forward, I wanna bring in criminal defense attorney David Marcus who recently succeeded in defending, we should note the former Florida Democratic gubernatorial candidate Andrew Gillum also recently turned down a job to defend the former president in this case that's happening here that we're talking about tonight. Tell us why. why. Why did you not want to take on this case?
20: You know, I, I can't really talk about that particular thing, Caitlin. I can talk about the circus that was brought to town—the roosters and the chickens and the yes, and the so cats, cats that are around. around in uh, uh, it's been wild, and the heat and the humidity that you guys are putting up with. Um, but trying to stay away from talking about the specifics of that.
2: Well, in a bigger, broader sense, I've talked to some attorneys about this today—the pros and cons of taking this on. Obviously, it's a historic case. You'd be representing the first time a former president has ever faced federal charges. Uh, what do you see as is the, is the, the cons of representing it? You know, it's
20: a, a full-time job. Um, that's number one. And, and so any lawyer who takes the case needs to make sure they have enough time, enough energy to devote their entire practice to it. And so if you have a busy practice, if you're trying cases all around, it's going to be hard to turn away those cases that tell the current clients, listen, I'm going to be spending all my time on this. That's a difficult thing for a lawyer to do and to get involved with.
2: Is it complicated by what we saw happen tonight, where Trump leaves here, he gets on his plane, he goes back to Bedminster, and he delivers a speech that I'm told his current attorneys reviewed, where he he said he had, you know, every right to take these documents. He said, I did everything right, and they indicted me. How much does that complicate a search for an attorney?
20: You know, I don't think it does all that much. A a person should have the right to to defend themselves in public. I think what's much more interesting is why nobody's criticizing Jack Smith for getting out in front of the public the night after the indictment, having a press conference like a peacock with the American flag behind him and saying the public should read the indictment and make a decision for themselves. That's wrong. A judge is going to instruct the jury not to make a decision based on the indictment to wait for the proof. So I'm not sure why Jack Smith did that. I'm not sure why prosecutors are holding press conferences. I think it's unseemly and I think it's wrong.
2: So it's interesting for you to say that because what we had heard as we were covering it in the immediate aftermath of learning that Trump was indicted was the silence from the Justice Department and the fact that Trump himself was the one framing the narrative of what had happened. And we weren't hearing anything from the Justice Department. Isn't that just as problematic?
20: Right. Well, Trump beat him to it, uh, you know, as Trump is, is ought to do. But But Jack Smith held a press conference maybe, you know, too late for the media. But why is he holding a press conference at all? It is odd, right? He had a speaking indictment, what I've called a show and tell indictment with pictures and everything. Um, that should speak for itself. It's weird that a prosecutor will get in front of the camera and sort of preen about, we want a speedy trial. Government doesn't get a right to a speedy trial. But
2: don't you have a right to a speedy trial as a person? Is that preening about a speedy trial? Yeah,
20: so so the, the, the defendant has a right to the speedy trial under the Constitution, under the Sixth Amendment, not the prosecutor. So for the prosecutor to say, we want a speedy trial, well, I think that was just for the cameras because he doesn't have a right to a speedy trial. Only a defendant does, And so this case is going to take a long time. You
2: don't think he was saying that in the interest of the the Republican frontrunner that they are investigating, saying that's why he should have a speedy trial?
20: No, I don't think he was looking out for Donald Trump when he said uh, we should have a speedy trial. Donald Trump's lawyers should have the opportunity to prepare. The government's been investigating this case for two years. They've been putting this case together. Trump's going to have a new legal team. They need time. It's only fair, right, that they have the same amount of time to prepare. There's no chance that this case gets tried before the election. I'm telling you, it will not get tried before November 2024. One thing
2: I should also note about what we heard from Jack Smith, it wasn't, I'm very sensitive to this as a member of the press. It wasn't a press conference because they didn't take questions. It was, he came out and delivered a very brief statement. When you see, though, the former president repeatedly attacking Jack Smith, I mean, if you scroll through his social, his Truth Social feed feed, he calls him deranged. He calls yeah. him a Trump hater. He yeah. attacks his wife. Not right. I mean, not you know, no,
20: n- clearly not appropriate. Nobody should be name-calling. Um, so, so Trump shouldn't be doing that. Nobody's going to defend that. Um, but I, again, I, I do think we should be asking questions about why Jack Smith is on air making those kinds of comments also.
2: Well, he doesn't speak very often. That was the first time we had heard from him. I will note, we did see him today, of course. We didn't see him, but he was in the... In the courtroom today, I know the cameras in the courtroom is something that you care a lot about as well. We'll have to leave it there that sure. we're out of time tonight. Sure. David, thank you very much though, for, you, for joining Doing us here in here. Miami. Appreciate that. Abby, back to you.
1: All right. I want to bring in Democratic Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger of Virginia. She's a former CIA case officer, and she sits on the House Intelligence Committee. Congresswoman, thank you for joining us. Uh, look, the indictment lays out pretty clearly the nature of the documents that the former president's being charged with. They have to do with U.S. defense, intelligence capabilities, nuclear capabilities. And yet you hear Trump saying tonight, I had the absolute right to take the documents. What does that make you think as a former intelligence officer yourself?
18: Uh, you know, Abby, in the indictment, it lays out that these documents detail U.S. capabilities. They detail U.S. plans uh, in the event of uh, an attack, they detail our capabilities. They detail the military and technological capabilities of our partner nations. Um, as is laid out in the indictment, these documents are the roadmap uh, to keeping our service members safe in the event of uh, any sort of conflict. They talk about you know the United States' biggest, deepest secrets. Um, and anyone who has access to this level of classified information, as For what was listed in the indictment, uh, has an absolute duty to protect them. And so as a former intelligence officer and as a member of Congress now, I think it's absolutely horrifying that anyone would downplay the seriousness of what these documents represent.
1: I want you to take a look at this uh, graphic showing the areas in the Mar-a-Lago Club where these documents were found. Uh, They were, frankly, all over the club. And some of your colleagues in the House uh, today One of them in particular said, well, there are 33 bathrooms. Uh, You can't just walk into any bathroom at Mar-a-Lago or or the idea that the bathroom has a lock and that that's a secure place.
18: What's your reaction to that? There are absolute protocols for how classified information is supposed to be maintained and protected Uh, Certainly in the House of Representatives, we have a SCIF. Uh, We have it's a a special facility. Documents are locked up. You have to have access to the rooms, Uh, no electronic devices. Right. Members of Congress should be very clear on the protocols that go along with being able to even read or access classified information. The fact that there would be classified information, some of our nation's biggest secrets uh, just strewn about in this resort where we know people are coming and going, including foreign nationals, it's just unthinkable. And that then when confronted with this reality, as the indictment lays out, the president engaged in uh, efforts to uh, conceal that fact. And some of your
1: colleagues are also now saying, uh, in, in the Senate, saying they're going to grind uh, Department of Justice nominations to a halt. That was from J.D. Vance, a senator. But also Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying that she will try to defund Jack Smith's office. Uh, how do you see this all
18: playing out? Are these real threats or empty threats? I I think these are... Deeply tragic threats, frankly. This is a question of national security. And national security issues shouldn't be partisan. The fact that there are documents that might outline U.S. capabilities and that they were treated inappropriately, they were you know, placed at a hotel in Florida, um, and that not they were not returned to the U.S. government at the time that they were supposed to. And now, the, uh, as the indictment lays out, the former president engaged in a potential conspiracy to conceal them. The fact that any member of Congress— uh, would be saying anything other than, you know, we need to have the case go through the, uh, the, the court system. We need to understand fully what happened. The fact that they would defend uh, this treatment of classified documents is deeply detrimental uh, to our national security. And you know, notably, as laid out in the indictment, some of the documents were labeled five eyes. That's information yeah. that we share with or receive from some of our closest allies and partners. Uh, the implications for our national security are, are not just you know, to our own country, but it impacts the relationships and the information sharing that we may have uh, with some of our closest, closest
10: allies.
1: Yeah, and you know, voters will ultimately decide. You come from the state of Virginia where a lot of people in your state know all about how to handle classified documents Properly. Because they deal with them all That's right. the time and they would lose their jobs and go to jail if they engaged in this sort of behavior congresswoman Spangberger, thank you for joining us thank you and coming up next two arrests for donald trump in just a matter of weeks and with more lawsuits and investigations still swirling what are the potential legal troubles that he faces going forward we will talk about all of that right after this Former President Trump's arraignment in the classified documents case is just the latest in a series of legal troubles that he has been facing. He is under indictment in New York for allegedly making hush money payments to an adult film actress. And last month in a jury in a a civil trial found Trump liable in the sexual abuse and defamation lawsuit filed by E. Jean Carroll. He's being investigated for alleged election interference in Georgia and also as part of the January 6th probe. My panel is with me and CNN political commentator Kristen Soltis-Anderson, a Republican strategist and pollster. We've got legal analyst Elliot Williams, former pre- federal, federal prosecutor, and then Sarah Matthews is here as well. She's a former Trump White House deputy secretary, CNN national security analyst Juliet Kayam, and former Republican congressman Denver Riggleman, who was an advisor to the House January 6th committee. Denver, welcome Hi, to you. the program. And I'll start with you on, on all of this. Um, This is really, I think, you know, we thought January 6th was a pivotal moment, right? We haven't even Mm -hmm. gotten to the federal investigation into that. Um, But this is a pivotal moment because of the seriousness of the charges against Trump. When you look at the, the array of things that he could be facing from a legal perspective, how much worse do you really think this can get?
5: Uh, I think it always get worse. I still think when January 6th on the way, right, when they're starting to look at January 6th, I think the classified documents debacle is awful. But I still think when we look at what happened on January 6th, I think it's going to get worse. What amazes me is my background in counterterrorism, background for 20 years, National Security Agency. I was talking to Elliot beforehand. You know, I've seen top secret SCI. I've seen top secret SCI, TKG, HCS. I've seen all these complete different types of caveats but I've never seen top-secret turd, you know. So, you know, with them having actually, you know, classified documents in the bathroom, I found it almost amazing. And again, talking to Elliot that we had a leader of the House talk about where they locked the bathroom. You know, I've built skiffs, right? Um, You don't have bathrooms in skiffs usually for multiple reasons. But I just find it amazing that that they're taking this so lightly or trying to defend something that is so over-the-top illegal, you know, especially about classified documents. If I did this or Juliet did this or somebody in here did something like this, you no, know, we would be dragged through the woods, and I think, and rightfully so.
21: I, I want to add to this. I think what links a lot of these cases, uh, and and what my work is on, it is just violence or the threat of violence. I think we tend to forget how much that animates uh, the the political discourse, and how unique that is in, in our adult lifetime. I mean, words, it is now sort of violence or the threat of violence is sort of an extension of politics. So you start January 6th. But even think of the Georgia case. The Georgia case is fundamentally about buying time uh, so that they can, you know, have the fake electors, you know, sort of uh, submit their votes. And how do you buy time? It was essentially January 6th. Uh, Fast forward to to Mar-a-Lago and the cases around that. It is a, you know, it is a president who is... um, uh, Let's just, who, who threatens our peace as a nation? Right. That may not be violence as we often think about it, but it's also a piece of it. And I think we just shouldn't get used to that. That yeah. to, to the extent that that's part of our discourse. You,
1: you make such an important point about the seriousness of the January sixth yeah. investigations, both the one in Georgia and the one that yeah. the other mm-hmm. one that Jack Smith is dealing with. And Elliot, I, do you think that this federal case that we are seeing now start to play out will have any effect on some of these other cases? Like, if you are Uh, uh, If you are the uh, district attorney in Georgia, are you looking at this and saying, do we need to take a step back? Do we need to wait? Do we need to wait for it to play out? So it's not
22: uncommon in prosecution for one sovereign or jurisdiction to have a, a case that they're working on when another one, maybe the feds are working on something else. And... I think what you might see um, as you get down the road is a request just made to the Justice Department saying, you know, asking, when are you going to trial? How much time do we have? Mm. And at a certain point, it becomes a pure logistical matter where it's just, look, the defendant in this trial that we're having in some state court can't appear because he's on trial in another court or he has a hearing uh, up in Washington, D.C. or in Florida or elsewhere. And so it really... um, you know, in many respects, it's just administrative more than anything else. Now, in terms of whether it might have an impact on either of these jurisdictions, you know, maybe not. Now, what's notable about Georgia, like this matter, is you have audio tape there of the defendant, in his own words, committing or at least allegedly committing at least part of the offense. And so,
1: and another al- potential allegation of conspiracy at hand there, too. Sure. Uh, Sarah, I-, I wonder about... Um, the You know, the politics of this all. Obviously, the Trump team, they're always trying to put on a brave face saying, oh, well, this is going to help us politically. We're going to raise a ton of money. But to Elliot's point, they have a calendar problem, too. I mean, they've got cases. Uh, some of them haven't even come to fruition. And then they also have primaries beginning in January.
9: Yes, and I think that uh, we saw today, though, that they are going to try to spin this into a win. Obviously, it wasn't a good day by any measure. Donald Trump was arraigned and federally indicted. And I think that uh, as evidenced by them taking him to that restaurant in Miami— They knew that there were no cameras in the courtroom. So this was their chance to get him in front of a camera and to put on a brave face, as you said, and to show him in a crowded room full of supporters who were cheering him on. And he was thriving. He seemed in good spirits, which is surprising given the day he had. But they are going to try to spin this into a win, as they usually do. And the message that we heard from him tonight in his speech was, they're coming after me because I'm fighting for you. And so he's going to stick to that message and try to force his uh, rivals to come out and defend him. But what I think is so funny about that is if you're a 2024 rival uh, taking on Donald Trump, it's interesting that you aren't making the case then for why you're running if you're afraid to criticize him. And I think that they should be out there taking him head on.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's very hard to understand. There are also a lot of, uh, you know, pet theories about what kind of timing benefits Trump and what kind of timing doesn't in terms of these cases moving forward. What's your take, Kristen, about how how this plays into the Republican primary? Uh, As we know, Iowa's coming up in January, and uh, he also has a court date for next March, I believe, in the middle of the primary
10: season? Well, whenever something like what we've seen over this past week happens within the Republican primary, there tends to be this or within the Republican electorate, this like circle the wagons effect. Right. Let's all rally around our guy. Let's even if I don't like some of the stuff he's done, I don't like his enemies more. And it's a reminder to Republicans, hey, there may be things Trump's done that you don't like, but. stand with your guy. And so if there are big developments that happen on the eve of a big primary, there's an argument that that could be beneficial. But the countervailing argument is Republicans really don't want to lose the general election Mm -hmm. in 2024. And if there are Republican primary voters who may like Donald Trump, but are really worried about him as a risky nominee, some big development in a case like this on the eve of a primary could remind those Republican voters of just how risky a candidate a potential nominee Donald Trump would be. Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I, I think that that's definitely uh, kind of like a very logical <laughs> view of it. But at the same time, I mean, this is the same Republican Party. They've been indoctrinated in this idea yeah, that but, Trump is such a strong candidate that he didn't even lose the last yeah. time when he actually did.
5: Yeah, I think, um, you know, being a former Republican congressman, um, if I'm looking at what's happened right now, we've been talking about Mar-a-Lago and the skiff yeah. and the incredible opinions around here. We're looking at the judgment of somebody who is holding these classified documents, you know, at a resort. But the second thing is, if, if I'm running against him, I'm saying, you have somebody who's shown the judgment to really invite dollar store Nazis to lunch, yeah. right? And these individuals that are around there and all the people that have gone through Mar-a-Lago, and you have defense of, you know, bathroom-locked doors on this thing. It just seems to me right now, if there's a Republican candidate, right, who can make those type of arguments uh, against Donald Trump, I think they actually have a chance to maybe find an inside lane, um again, you know, I, I was around obviously when Donald Trump was there. It's very difficult to sort of break that lock on the party. But what he's doing right now and the disrespect he showed to the military and the disrespect he showed to the American people on the on the individuals he's allowed in Mar-a-Lago, you know, like the Nick Fuentes of the world, I think at this point maybe there's a Republican out there who could go into the inside lane here.
21: I think there was something happening today that was interesting and and who knows if other Republicans will take advantage of it. But uh uh for those of us who've been monitoring sort of violent extremism, not Trump supporters, but the violent side uh, and the language that had come out after the indictment, that was not a crowd today. And if you are Donald Trump and you you live off the mythology that the crowd is not only for you, but that the crowd will fight for you, you didn't deliver today. And I think it's really important for people to see that, you know, he's a lot of Bark right now. And and he's obviously the front runner. But that was, you know, imagine how we would feel if 100,000 people had shown up. You'd feel very different. I think we've got a couple hundred. Right. There might have been more reporters there. That's good news in terms of breaking this uh, this aura that he's created around himself. So, yeah, I mean, I
1: think it's this is now the second time that law enforcement rightfully so has prepared for crowds that didn't show up. Do you think that that's significant?
9: I think we saw um, from the first indictment that there wasn't a big crowd. Obviously, that was in New York. I don't think it was anticipated there was going to be a big crowd there. Florida, I did kind of expect there to be a larger presence, but there really wasn't. I think the estimates I heard were something like there were 20 people outside the mm-hmm. courthouse, and there were more reporters there actually covering. One it.
22: one caveat um, there is that I think a trial is very different no, there, than an initial appearance or right. Or, right. And, 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 and the arrests
21: after January 6 clearly have an influence, but but that's good. I mean, in the sense that that people will not do what he. Remember, his language sure. was to fight and the violent side. And I think it's really important that that's sort of what's animating a lot of... of he has nothing else, right? No, absolutely.
22: I just mean uh, a, a trial starting yeah. of a former president of the United States, if we, if we reach that point, is very different than yeah, showing up and, for a 30-second hearing and, and being advised of your rights. We'll see. Who knows? I don't know if people have that level of analysis in their minds when they're going in. But again, he's not on trial when that day comes. I, I think it's a
1: different ball. And game. unfortunately, Trump is known to just simply up the ante every single time rhetorically. Uh, Great discussion. Guys, thank you all for being with us. And Republican leaders are weighing in now on today's event. Stay with us for their reactions.
2: The 2024 GOP presidential candidates are weighing in on Trump's arrest and arraignment today. Some Republicans in Congress also reacting as well. So, what are they saying? Let's get right to all of the reaction with CNN's anchor and correspondent Audie Cornish, also Republican strategist Jason Osborne, and CNN political commentator Karen Finney, who are all joining me here tonight. Audie, I want to start with you on what we're hearing from the former Vice President Mike Pence, who who offered quite an answer to Dana Bash in his CNN Town Hall recently about whether or not he thought. Trump should be prosecuted here, but now says, having read the indictment, these are very serious allegations and I can't defend what is alleged, but the president is entitled to his day in court. He is entitled to bring a defense and I want to reserve judgment until he has the opportunity to respond. That's a shift from what he was saying in that town hall, even if it's just a slight one.
18: Yeah, I can see you sort of looking for some differences there. But the truth is, at best, he's going to be careful, more careful than some others uh, in the race. We've heard another candidate talk about the idea that in some future scenario, if he was president, he would pardon uh, Donald Trump uh, of any conviction. There's a real bafflement uh, by the uh, sort of establishment Republican base about how to deal with Donald Trump that they've experienced since 2015. It hasn't improved. And you see the struggle in the split answers from those in the Senate versus those in the House and those people who are out to score points.
2: Yeah. And Jason, I want you to hear an answer that stuck out to me today, two answers, one from Kevin McCarthy yesterday, one from Byron Donalds today, obviously both Republicans, both in the House, the House Speaker and the Florida representative. This is what they said in a defense of what Trump is alleged to have
18: done. Was that a good look for the former president to have boxes in a bathroom?
16: I don't know, is it a good picture to have boxes in a garage
15: that opens up all the time? A bathroom door locks. As somebody who's been to Mar-a-Lago, you just can't walk through Mar-a-Lago of your own accord because Secret Service is all over the place. There are 33 bathrooms at, at Mar-a-Lago. So don't act like it's just in some random bathroom that the guests can go into. That's not true.
2: Jason, I'm not sure I would I thought I would ever hear Republicans insisting that the bathrooms (laughs) at Mar-a-Lago are secure as a defense here.
16: Yeah, I I don't understand why that why they're making that argument, quite frankly. I mean, I I did like Pence's statement, but quite frankly, the better statement, in my view, was the one that Governor Kemp made uh, last night or, or two nights ago with Robert Costa, which is all of this is a distraction and we need to start moving on. And I think why that's important is that it's signifying that there is you know for lack of a better term blood in the water and so folks as, as they're inching out against trump a little bit more and more and they're seeing what kind of feedback they're getting and what the voters are saying in terms of their polls etc It's i think you're going to see more and more republicans coming out and saying like nikki haley did where she said two things can be true at the same time which is the justice department needs to you know be reorganized and yes what Trump has done or what he is alleged to have done is a bad thing.
2: And Karen, yeah, I mean, we're basically seeing these Republicans who are running against Trump, almost contorting themselves to try to walk a certain line on this. One of them, Vivek Ramaswamy, today was calling on the other Republicans uh, to promise to pardon Trump if they were elected. What do you make of that?
7: Well, that could very easily become the litmus test. I mean, they can certainly cite they won't want to talk about Watergate and uh, the tradition uh, of President Ford pardoning President Nixon. But that's absolutely going to jam up and make some of these Republican candidates have to figure out how do you thread this needle and create what we would call a permission structure for those voters who might be willing to break with Trump, and as we were saying with Nikki Haley, right, creating for people the possibility that two things can be true at the same time. You can love Trump and be loyal to Trump, but also want to support a different candidate for 2024. Those candidates are gonna have to increase the risk of voting for Trump in 2024 and push the desire to actually win. So how those candidates do it that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. And maybe it is the case that the way to thread that needle is going to be to say, I'll pardon him, uh, and that is a way that we can win and move forward.
2: Uh, yeah, I would disagree caucuses on the In the middle of court dates, this is, we're going to have to leave it there, we're out of time, but we will get back to you because there is big questions about whether or not that is going to be something realistic if it gets to that. Of course, these uh, court dates coming up for the former president more tonight on the arraignment, the historic arraignment of Donald Trump and whether or not it could change the way we see the presidency forever. We have a presidential historian, Doug Brinkley, here to give us his perspective.
1: This has truly been a momentous and a sad day in American history Donald Trump is the first former president to face federal charges. He was arrested and arraigned today in federal court on 37 charges for allegedly mishandling classified documents. And joining me now is Douglas Brinkley, a presidential historian. And, Doug, thank you for joining us. You've studied so many administrations, so many presidents, and yet this was a surreal scene. What do you think history will show uh, this all meant?
23: I think there's sort of a suffocating, uh, groaning arrogance of Donald Trump that was on display today, once again, putting himself above national interest. We have so many real problems in the world dealing with the Ukraine and climate change, homelessness, the economy. The list is long. And yet he is putting our country through such an event simply because he wouldn't return documents that didn't belong to him. Nobody can argue that these documents belong to Donald Trump, hence he needed to turn them over, and he didn't. Luckily, our nation produces great um, government leaders, and I think Jack Smith is one of those. You know, For a lot of years, he did great work for the U.S. in The Hague, in Kosovo. Uh, he's dealt with issues of genocide and crime syndicates. But he has masterly put together uh, these 37 indictments against Donald Trump, and And I didn't expect him there, Abby, to be there, but he was there today, apparently just glaring at um, ex-President Trump because he really knows what this is all about. And it's all in that very biting um,
1: indictment. Do you uh, see the circle around Trump changing in any way in the reaction that you've seen from Republicans who were, you know, until recently very supportive of him?
23: You know, I've, last evening I did an event in California with Leon Panetta and Bob Woodward, and the big question that all of us keep having, where is the spine of the Republican Party? What happened to the party of Lincoln and Eisenhower and Reagan? And I think we're starting to see it for the first time today. I mean, over the weekend, it was a former Attorney General Barr speaking out, and then Nikki Haley joined, and you just played a clip of um, – Uh, former Vice President Pence, and you're starting to see a distancing in the Republican Party from Trump, obviously not from Kevin McCarthy and Jordan and and, and many in Congress. But I think it's going to be curious to see if a group of senators can really uh, take Donald uh, Trump to the woodshed over this, uh, where it's not just a Mitt Romney figure, but maybe 10 leading Republican senators that'll say enough's enough. By doing so, not only would they save the country, This sort of um, curse, really, that Trump has put on us or a distraction at the very least. But it might very well allow somebody like a DeSantis or um, Scott or Haley or or one of the others to um, emerge and actually win and not be um, winning while they were indicted multiple times.
1: And the interesting thing about so many of those names that you mentioned is that many of these people worked for Donald Trump, including his own former running mate of former Vice President Mike Pence. Doug Brinkley, as always, great to have you and your uh, insights in this incredibly historical day that we all just witnessed. Thank you. And Caitlin and I will be right back.
2: It has been a historic day here in Miami for some good reasons and some obviously not so good reasons. But before we go tonight, I do want to give a shout-out to the students from Miami Palmetto Senior High School who played a crucial role in CNN's work at this Miami courthouse today. Sebastian, Lucas A., Lucas H., Casey Pita, Michaela, Isabella, Emily, Jana, Sam Eisenberg, all helped either by waiting in line overnight Running information out of a courthouse where, as we know, cameras, recorders, and even cell phones and Apple watches were banned today. These students, so young, they even had to search and learn how to use pay phones because that is how they were getting information out of that courthouse today. Because of them, we were able to get reporting from our reporters inside the courthouse to you, the viewers, faster. And for that work, we are very grateful tonight, Abby.
1: Truly the unsung heroes of this incredibly historic day and caitlin it's been great to be with you tonight and thank you at home for watching us keep it right here on cnn for all the very latest on this story we continue our coverage in just a few hours at 5 a.m we're gathering reporting and information on all the reaction cnn has expanded coverage starting at 5 eastern right here don't go anywhere we'll see you tomorrow